so a big milestone for me was when I was able to financially support myself and my family mm-hmm. from my podcast. There was something that felt really validating when I was able to be like, not only do I get to do what I love, which is amazing, but I can say that it's also like a financially responsible thing to do for my family. Like I can support my family with it. Are you not getting the downloads you desire? Unsure about how to promote your podcast effectively or struggling to monetize your work? Well, you've just found the resource you need. Hi, and welcome to Mike's to Millions, the podcast that brings you exclusive in-depth conversations with top tier hosts in the health and wellness industry to help you grow your podcast. I'm your host, Sam Breakgear, co-founder of Podwritten, a podcast booking agency for health and wellness businesses. In every episode, we dive deep into what it really takes to get more podcast listeners, successfully promote your show, and monetize your work. Remember, if you like the show, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us grow, and in doing so, we can continue to offer you valuable insights and podcast growth tips. Now, let's get into it. My guest today is the host of Mindful in Minutes Meditation, a podcast providing short weekly guided meditations to help you stress less and live more. The show receives roughly 600,000 downloads a month. It's been running for six years, and during this time, it's racked up over 1,700 reviews in the US alone on Apple Podcasts. She's the founder of Yoga For You, an ERYT 500 and YACEP certified yoga and meditation teacher. She's also someone I've worked closely with for a while now, to help her amplify her message as a guest on podcast. And I can honestly say she is such a lovely individual and a pleasure to have on the show today. Kelly Smith, welcome to the show. Hello, Sam. What a nice intro. And we were talking a little bit off mic. How delightful to get to chat and connect, not just on work stuff, just to get to chat. I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I think it is such a great opportunity because obviously I've been working with you for a while. I'm such a fan of the work that you do. And obviously I'm biased because I practice meditation and um, yoga on a daily basis as we've spoken about. So I really see that like the work that you do provides genuine value. I really like it. I'm a big fan. And yeah, it's fantastic to have you here. And you have such a really cool backstory. And I'd love to know if we can um, dive into it. Like, can you share how you got started in yoga and how it's evolved to where you're at today? Absolutely. So I started yoga when I was young, like I couldn't even drive. My mom used to have to drive me to my yoga classes. And as we know, for a lot of people, I was there like for a quote, good stretch. Um, I was there because I heard it was good for the training that I was doing. And I used to be a Shavasana skipper. I'm reformed now. I'm laughing to myself because we were talking a little bit about this before we hit record, but I used to be a Shavasana skipper, meaning I took the class. And as soon as we rolled out our mats and the instructor said, okay, you know, lay down, uh, it's time for Shavasana. I would just roll up my mat and I would leave because I thought what a waste of time to just lay there for a few minutes. And it's funny to me now, if you would have told my like 14 year old self, the Shavasana skipper, that when I was an adult, I would basically teach things like yoga nidra and long guided meditations that are anywhere from 10 minutes to basically a 75 minute Shavasana, I wouldn't have believed you. But I really started with just the physical and I really enjoyed what yoga did 
for my body in terms of mobility, for recovery. And then as I got a little bit older, when I was 16, my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and I was her primary caregiver at that time. And I really started to have my eyes open to some of the softer sides of yoga, the gentler sides, some more restorative yoga. And then also I didn't know it at the time, but different kind of mindfulness and meditation techniques. And I just found that it really helped both my mom, but also helped me during like such a challenging time. And that's what really kind of introduced me to some of the softer sides of yoga that I've grown to love so much. And I didn't really do anything with it until I graduated college and um, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I did what many did, which was take a yoga teacher training. And then I was technically a yoga teacher, even though I was still working in management. And um, it wasn't until I moved for love with my husband to a one bar, one Walmart town um, in rural Midwest America that I thought, you know what? I have no friends here. You're in school all the time. He was there for medical school and I had to leave my job. I'm unemployed. Um, why not try to turn what I love, my passion, yoga, and ultimately mindfulness into my job as well. I am so glad you did. And I was waiting to, to tell you this one occasion on my recent trip home back to the UK, I had horrible jet lag. And one thing about me is I really struggle to sleep. And the issue that I have is when I can't sleep, I get really anxious about the fact that I can't sleep and it just exacerbates problems. And I fall into this terrible cycle. And there was on one occasion, I think it's like one of my first nights back in the UK when I was, it was like 4am, I was wide awake and I was just stressing. And I, I just was so stressed that I'd like sleep through the whole of tomorrow and just like not be able to break this cycle. And I actually remember pulling out my phone and put my headphones in. I listened to your podcast, Mindful in Minutes. And literally within 20 minutes, I just felt this huge change within my body. I just felt so relaxed. And I think within 30 minutes, I was asleep. So I'm really happy to be have you on here and talk about your podcast because it has genuinely helped me. And there is absolutely no doubt, given the huge amount of people that listen to it and leave reviews, that you are doing fantastic things with it. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And that's, that's so special and meaningful for me to hear because I really like, you know, and, and now, you know, Sam, as a podcaster yourself, it's, it's such an interesting experience because it can be such a powerful and almost like intimate experience for the listener, because you have someone's voice in your ears. But like, for me, I just have this tiny little closet under the stairs in my, in my basement and I just sit in there in the dark because currently the light's burnt out and I haven't brought myself along to change the light yet. And I just sit there in the dark and I make these meditations and, and you never know, like my intention is always that it reaches the people that need it and that, you know, it helps the people that are, that are looking for this kind of thing. But it's just, it's, it's always so special. I think as a podcaster to hear like from someone that personally has listened and has like benefited from the work that you're doing. Cause on my end, it's so just one-sided. I just, I write them and, you know, record and produce the podcast and put it out into the internet and I can see a number. So I know how many pairs of ears are listening to the meditations, but it's always really special to hear like a story about it. Cause there's, I think sometimes a little bit of a disconnect between creating the podcast and then the kind of almost like close relationship that you can feel 
with a podcaster as a listener because it's such like an intimate experience yeah definitely that makes absolute sense and uh clearly it's had a huge impact i'm curious to know like how did this first start like when did you first decide you wanted to start mindful in minutes so when i started mindful in minutes about six years ago which i think is like geriatric for podcasting like i think my podcast at this point is like a grandparent in terms of like the life cycle As I mentioned, when I moved to this rural town in Missouri, and that's where I started my business, Yoga for You, and it started with one class on Friday nights at my husband's school. And it eventually, it was, you know, to grow, it was growing, it evolved. And I ended up opening a studio there. And we knew we were always going to be in this town just for a few years until a different kind of portion of schooling. But when I ended up leaving and selling my studio, I, at that point had kind of, I don't know, one of my kind of like signatures, I guess, were some of my guided meditations or incorporating some guided meditation into Shavasana. And when I sold the studio and I moved to a different part of the U S I wanted to find a way to still be able to share some of these practices with my students, even though we were far apart. And I, I had, I listened to podcasts at the time and I thought this might be exactly what I need. Like it's an audio medium you know, I can just put them up there for free. People will be able to hit play. And it's so funny because the hardest part, well, there are two hard parts about podcasting six years ago. One of the hardest parts was just getting people to learn like what a podcast was and how to listen to it. And the second was some of the logistics used to be so much harder because podcasting was still pretty small and like pretty niche. And so I remember it took me like three days just to get my podcast like up on Apple podcasts, because it used to have to go through this whole like approval system. And it just looked really different than it did today where, you know, you could probably get a podcast technically up and running in like a day if you wanted to. Um, But I just thought, how am I going to, you know, record some of these meditations and put them online so my students can keep listening to them. And I thought, I'll just put it up as a podcast. But as you know, when something's out on the internet, it's out there. Yeah. And, and so it just started as a way for my students to just be able to hit play and still get some of those practices. Um, but it just, it's continued to grow since then. That's fantastic. And if I understand correctly, you said you started your podcast in October, 2017, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. And what did that first year look like? So from October, 2017 to 2018, how did the podcast evolve and how did you evolve with it in that first year? It was such a steep learning curve. Like it was just, I think of that like first year and there was so much trial and error. And again, there there weren't a lot of resources out there. Like I remember really having to dig and kind of figure out like, how do I make a podcast? Like, how do I get it out into the world? How like the logistics of it, I remember being really challenging and it was like each month, I, there'd be something different or new, or I would, you know, have to look into different like audio options. And I just remember it being this really just steep learning curve, which isn't a bad thing, but it was like this brand new challenge that I had never really tried to do before. And there weren't a lot of resources out there. So it really felt like kind of this, like diving into the unknown. And I always had this like dream of like, well, wouldn't it be really cool if like, you know, people discovered this podcast, like it wasn't just people that were already familiar with my teaching because they were direct students of mine. Like, wouldn't it be cool if 
other people kind of stumbled across this. And so I kind of felt like I just blindly went into it. I've always been the kind of person that I think this is useful to me where I'm like just the right amount of like reckless where I'm like, oh, I don't know. Why don't we just give this a try? Or like, huh, let's just, I think it's the impulsive part of my ADHD where I'm like, you know, what might work for these meditations I want to share? Let's just start a podcast. And then, and then I'll just decide to start a podcast and kind of figure it out along the way. But I think the first year in particular, there was just so much growth. I didn't do episodes weekly. I would take like two big kind of like seasonal breaks. And it was really just kind of like trial and error, figure it out as I go. And with those seasonal breaks, what did it look like? How would you, you structure it during that time? If I remember correctly, for the first, I think, two to three years of the podcast, it's funny because actually everything changed right around COVID, which we can like, we can circle back to that. Um, But that's when like the podcast really kind of popped off and like, I had to start taking it. I say seriously, like I had to get a little bit more professional with it because way more people started listening. But I, I believe I used to take like a big break around the holidays. Um, So maybe like six-ish weeks. And then I would do that again, like in the summer. And if I were to ever go back to that, those would still be the two times a year I would take a break because um, naturally I have found listenership is down in general because those are two times people are out of their routines and um, podcast listening is such like a ritual for people. And so I think that I just felt like, well, everyone's kind of checked out a little bit during these two times of the year. So I'll just take a little break from podcasting too. And it wasn't a big part of my business at that time. Um, so I think I used to take maybe six ish weeks twice a year. Okay, cool. And do you remember what the listeners were like in those early years and how that kind of like, what was a ballpark figure as like things progressed? Oh, it's, I don't even have to tell you <laughs> ballpark figure, Sam, this is my one piece. I was actually just talking to someone earlier today. Um, but anyone starting a podcast or anyone starting anything, I highly recommend starting a spreadsheet in which you check your metrics or like you track your metrics for whatever it is that you're focusing on growing every single week. Um, I started this in 2018. So I can tell you that all the way back in early 2018, uh, my podcast was maybe getting like 3000 downloads a week. I can tell you exactly March of 2018 when I started this, it had 3,055 downloads that week. That's awesome. I love spreadsheets. So I'm definitely going to be implementing that. And the reason that I recommend people do this is because you like, it feels like you're hardly turning the dial sometimes. Sometimes there'll be a big thing where it's like, wow, there's a huge jump this week because of A, B, or C. But for me, it's really useful. Like on the days, even now, and and I love my podcast so much. I love my community so much, but there's just some days where you're just like, oh, that, you know, you know, why, why did I choose this path? Or, you know, this, this thing has popped up or whatever. Like some days are, you know, all days are good, but some are better. And I can go back to like this data in a way, or just when you feel like everything you're doing, isn't turning the dial. And I can look at like the difference between a year or two years or three or four years. And you look at, even if it doesn't feel like in the moment you're turning the dial or, you know, growing your community. But then when you look back over time, it's so special and humbling to see like that long-term growth instead of the short-term growth. And I find that to be so good to look at on the days that like aren't as great or the days that, you know, you're just feeling tired. And so that's why I always recommend like 
even if you know you're like I have 20 listeners that's amazing every week just go and look at your metrics put in what that number is and if you do that every week like a year from now look back and it's really motivating and I think it's also really like validating get the growth over time that sounds like it would um yeah would really help definitely during those uh lower periods and you did mention something that was quite interesting to me you mentioned about how during covid things changed and you said that uh, more people were listening and it forced you to be like more professional what did like being more professional entail for you what did that mean so being more professional entailed um publishing every week so i only know this again because of one of my hand one of my many handy dandy um spreadsheets because in this spreadsheet where i track like podcast downloads and things like that i have um, a little column where I can make any notes of what may have impacted numbers. So if there wasn't an episode, something like that, I can make note of it. And there's two weeks here in my spreadsheet. And, and in the little note section, it just says COVID. And the week after that, it just says COVID. That's all it says. And from March 6th to 13th, I was getting maybe 25,000 downloads a week. And then March 13th to March 20th, which is when lockdown orders, at least in the US, were put into place. It jumped from like 25,000 a week to like 100,000 a week. And for me, it ended up being a blessing, but it came from something obviously that was so like horrible and scary. And I, at this time, I had actually this, um, about one week before COVID, I found out that I was pregnant with my first child, who we call pork chop. I had just found out that I was pregnant and I was so stressed and my my business model at the time primarily relied on traveling trainings and retreats. And so obviously we were staying at home, flights were not happening, all of that. And I just remember thinking like, how how is how am I ever going to survive this? And it turns out that there were a lot of people at home thinking the same thing, like how will I ever survive this? And there's so much stress, much worry, so much anxiety and that people started looking for simple ways to quell that anxiety. And it ended up driving so much organic traffic to my podcast that this was really the turning point where I went from, you know, like casual podcaster to like podcasting is what I do. And so, you know, it is interesting how sometimes some of the biggest changes or shifts or even blessings in life can come from really unexpected and tough and dark things. And so for me to answer your question about being professional, what that meant was um, trying to treat my podcast a little bit more like a business, at least on the back end. So I've never really wanted the actual like listener experience to be different, but that meant like getting a little bit more organized, like hosting a meditation every week, starting a different spreadsheet where I kept track of topics. So I had like a good variety of different topics on meditations, um, you know, starting looking at getting advertisers and things like that. Like how, if the thing that people are looking for right now is my podcast and the thing that I can do, basically having a pandemic pregnancy from my tiny apartment is podcast how can I make this work and turn it a little bit more into a business on the back end? So that's what I think of in terms of like being professional is, is just taking it a little bit more seriously and, and being like, I don't know, what can podcasting do for me? It sounds super professional. And uh, I will, I'm curious to know out of all these things you tried, you obviously mentioned there about like uh, hosting meditations each week. I'm guessing that's like some sort of um, live meditation outside of the podcast, right? So I, you know, I dabbled in a lot of things, but the thing that's always just worked is just 
what you still hear on mindful in minutes. And I, I have a secondary podcast called meditation mama, which is smaller, but it's more niche because it's guided meditations for fertility, prenatal and postnatal. Um, so like a really specific window in someone's life. But the thing that's always worked, I did, I did dabble in some other things, some live events, things like that, but just making a meditation, like creating the recording and releasing it on Sundays just seems to be the thing that worked and continues to work. And like I said, I, I've always tried my best to keep the listener experience the same or better as I continue to do this. And that even if I'm getting a little bit, you know, tighter and more professional on like the backside of podcasting, that that doesn't change the listener's experience at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. I obviously know from working with you that you've um, shared your message by being a guest on other shows. What do you feel are like some of the most successful steps you've taken to help promote Mindful in Minutes? Well, you know, not to give you a plug, Sam, but <laughs> but like that <laughs> definitely anyway. helped. Like you helped so much, like helping me kind of facilitate the conversation, like with other podcasts, which is always a little bit trickier because since my show is guided meditations or specifically like meditation teachings, like on a particular style, or like I do these free form episodes, or maybe I'll talk about like, here's the one-on-one of like walking meditation. Um, I don't have guests or do interviews on my show. And sometimes that makes it a little bit trickier because um, podcasters will often like swap interviews and things. And I didn't really have that to bring to the table. So getting on other shows was really great, especially because once someone's, you know, that I think you're the one that told me the stat, Sam, what's the stat? If someone listens to like one podcast, they listen to like nine a week or something. Yeah. They're usually like hardcore podcast listeners. Yeah. yeah. And that they, they usually have their like strong rotation. Mm-hmm of podcasts and like, you know, they listen to this on this day. And so it's always great to get into other podcast listeners ears, because if they're already listening to someone else's podcast, they're already consuming podcasts. And that's often one of the hardest parts is turning a non-podcast listener into a podcast listener. So that was really helpful. But the thing that I have always felt is like the most helpful thing ever is educating your audience on the power that they have to help you organically grow. Mm-hmm. So if you think about how, you know, anyone listening, how you you stumble across a new podcast, it's usually because someone like recommended it to you or, or you saw it somewhere. Like people don't often just like go to the charts or like even necessarily the search bar and like just start searching things and stumble across like they don't consume it like you do like when you're sitting on your couch on the weekend being like what do I want to watch on Netflix today and they like browse Mm -hmm. people don't do that for podcasts it's usually word of mouth and so I've always tried my best to educate my audience and like let them know how grateful I am every time they leave a review because that you know helps to boost the algorithm or share a meditation that they loved on Instagram stories or something like that or just even tell a friend who's like, oh, I'm not sleeping at night. And then be like, oh, well, you know, when I can't sleep, I listen to this podcast and they send an episode because really you grow at the rate of like your listeners sharing it. So it's very much a word of mouth thing. And I just try to tell my listeners, like, it would mean so much to me if you could share this with one person. And and it would, I mean all of this because especially when it comes to things like guided meditations, it's like, if you know someone And you think of them and they're like, oh, so-and-so would love this meditation or so-and-so needs this meditation. Mm. Like it would be so helpful for me. And also so kind of you to then just like 
share it with that person because I'm just trying to get these practices to the people who want and need them. Yeah, definitely. And one thing which I did want to add on to is you mentioned there about the difficulty of doing podcast swaps. There's no doubt that if you have a podcast and you got guests and you want to be on other people's shows, it really is very advantageous to be able to invite them on. But one thing that's really, really helped us certainly when we were doing your outreach was um, uh, the fact that you were able to offer Instagram lives as like a swap instead. And that's particularly useful, especially in like your case, because you have a fairly substantial following. I think like last time I checked, you got like 21,000, 22,000, 23 or something. Yeah, Early something, 20s, like, something like that on Instagram. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's a really strong thing um, to be able to leverage. So that was really helpful for us. And um, I know that, that that you do focus on just these guided meditations. And one of the things that I want to ask you about them is how, well, how do you find the creativity to come up with new meditations for every episode? And what is this process like? Because is this something that they teach you? Are you taught? Like I can imagine there must be a certain sense of innate creativity within you to come up with these. But is there such a thing as like a, a, a guide on guided meditations? So um, there is now because I created one, not to like <laughs> toot my own horn, but the reason that I, so I'll, I'll answer your second question first, but basically I didn't feel like I, no one really necessarily taught me how to do this. And I know there's a lot of people that absolutely can do it. It is not as hard as people think it is. And I kind of have a little bit of like a formula having doing this for a while. So like I do like some master classes and things like that for people who now want to learn how to write guided meditations. Cause I didn't really feel like anyone taught me. And I like to, in my business, and in my life, sometimes I like to take sort of the long route so I can pull out like the relevant bits and like package them together. So then someone else can kind of take like the short route to get there. But I find a lot of enjoyment in like the wrong turns and the deep dives and the, you know, wherever learning takes you. But in terms of like, I really think of this as like my create, like my creative outlet, not that I'm just like this artist, like writing these, you know, I'm not like some tortured artist writing these meditations, but I consider myself a creative person, like through words, but not like visually creative or, you know, other things. And, mm -hmm. um, I've always pulled inspiration from my own memory. So places that I've been, if I'm doing some kind of a guided imagery, where I'm talking about like a specific place. Like if you're walking in like a forest, I'm probably pulling from like an actual place that I've been. And I try to make it a sensory experience. So I think about when I was there, like, what did it look like? What did it sound like? What did it smell like? Um, or I pull from my own meditation practice. And I have found those are the two places where I pull the most inspiration. And so I might decide on a topic ahead of time and say, okay, this week, um, I want to do a meditation for letting go, but then I'll kind of sit quietly for a few moments and think about like, what does letting go feel like for me? Or how might I explore letting go in my own meditation practice? And then I can take that and sort of craft then a guided practice for someone else based on my own experience. And I think that's why I'm able to continue to come up with different ideas. Is that something like a meditation practice you're always exploring different things. Also like just living life, there's new things that pop up. And I really just try to pull from my own personal life experience and memory and kind of let that drive the creative process. 
I can see how that would be like a, a fruitful strategy to produce these. And I did also want to ask a couple more technical questions, uh, specifically like where do you host Mindful in Minutes and why did you pick this platform? So I used to host it on Anchor and I recently made the switch to Megaphone. I made the switch specifically because there was just a few more features on Megaphone with um, a show of my size, again, trying to you know, be professional on the back end that made things run a little bit smoother. However, I still host my other show meditation mama on, um, anchor. So they're, they're two different uh, platforms, but they're both owned by Spotify. And I would say megaphone is like the one when you need to kind of level up your hosting platform. And like anchor is a great place for shows of any size, but especially like if it's really easy, um, to kind of like get started and, and host a show of like any size and it's free and I use those too. And you mentioned there about there were certain features that enticed you to move over to Megaphone to make it more professional. What what were those features? So ever since I started running ads on my show, kind of back in 2020 is is one of those things that I, you know, started dabbling in, which was interesting because I think now we're pretty used to um, listening to advertisements on podcasts. Like we just kind of know that they're most likely going to be there. Mm-hmm. And but that wasn't necessarily the case. Like it was still newer in 2020. And so I did get a little bit of pushback from my audience um, when I started to monetize in that way. But since then, I think we've just gotten a lot more used to hearing ads on podcasts. And I have really specific boundaries for my show in particular. Like anyone who's listening is like, I would never listen to a meditation with like an ad in the middle. Do not work. That's not at all what it is. I don't do that. Um, there's just like one at the beginning before the meditation, or if we're doing like a free form or like a lecture, um, meditation, no guided practice, there might be a couple in there, but I have like really firm boundaries around what I allow and what I don't allow to make sure it doesn't take away from any meditation practice. But one feature that I didn't even really know this was a thing, um, until I was considering swapping, but there's two different ways that you can do advertisements. One is called like a baked in advertisement, which is like where when I'm creating the episode, I do the ad read and then it's just like baked in. It lives there on that episode, like for forever. And then there's a something called a dynamically inserted advertisement, which is where you can go through on the back end and mark where you would allow an ad to run on that episode, but you can then kind of change out what that ad is. So That's how, like, if you listen to a podcast and maybe the episode is a year or two old, but you listen and the ad is new or it's like present day advertisement, they're using dynamically inserted advertising, which was really kind of nice because having been podcasting for so long, it allows me to keep, you know, advertisers and advertisements fresh across a library of, you know, six years worth of podcasts. So then I can then continue to um, advertise and help drive revenue like to my show, which is the only reason that I can, can, you know, continue to do it for so long. As you know, Sam, podcasting is a lot of work. And for a really long time, we were, you know, single income. My husband's been in medical school for a very long time, um, just up until this last year. And so for me, it was, you know, that was a really important part is that I was able to, you know, be financially responsible for my family as well as I worked on this passion project, but it it makes it so that I can kind of keep that content fresher across six years, um, as opposed to then having a lot of like 
old, completely irrelevant ads, maybe even for things that like aren't even in business anymore. And um, that was one feature in particular that really kind of um, drove me to that platform. And there are also a few other perks that um, went with it because it is owned by Spotify. And so I've noticed since I switched to that platform and they never said anything about this, this is my own personal hunch, but every once in a while I have a day where it's like a huge spike in download numbers on like one episode. And so I think that maybe it like made it on like a Spotify playlist or was, you know, featured or somehow boosted in the algorithm. And so things like that, they never said that would happen, but I just noticed sometimes it does. That's cool. Which is always amazing. Yeah. Um, but it was some of the more like technical backend things of, of, you know, maybe more detailed reporting and um, being able to do like dynamically inserted ads, um, being able to also kind of put some of my own promos. So like if I have a retreat coming up, I can put an announcement in my episode across the library of being like, Hey, you know, in this month. So they're not hearing about a retreat that happened three years ago. They can hear about like the upcoming one, just that sort of stuff. I think um, those types of ads are fantastic, the dynamic insertion ones. And I'm wondering, obviously, you've done a mix. When you have those baked in ads, how does it work? Do you have to just let those episodes be as they are? Because I can imagine it might be difficult if they already have a baked in ad and then you add the dynamic insertion on top of that. How does that work when you've gone from one to the other? Yeah, so it does make it a little bit tricky. Um, sometimes, like when do when you work with an advertiser, there may be like a specific clause or something saying that, you know, this needs to be baked in for a year or two years or something like that, because there will also be a point for the advertiser where your particular promotion or vanity URL or something like that, it will expire. And so, you know, at that point, then it kind of is irrelevant on both ends in a way. And so sometimes you can go back to like audio editing and then pull out you know, edit out an old ad and then re-upload it. It's a pain in the butt, but you can do it. Um, so sometimes I'll do that, especially for like the old, old, ad. like, you know, it's 2023, we're headed into 2024. So some of the first advertisers I worked with, like, you know, three, four years ago, some of those, you know, like weren't even in business anymore. And so you can go back and kind of pull out an old one and then just mark a DIA spot. But I also do a little bit of like a combo. I'll still work with some baked in ads and things. And since I have such specific, like how many ads I run, I do it kind of like, if anything, basically for every 20 minutes or so, I'll allow an ad. So my, my longest episodes are over an hour. So the max I'll ever do is like three ad spots total in an episode. Um, and then all my meditations are less than 20 minutes. So they just get like one, it's called pre-roll, you know, one ad at the beginning. And so that's kind of how I choose to do it. So I'll do a combo where maybe I have one ad that's baked in, but then also at that same time stamp, I'll mark where maybe, you know, the second one for that episode, there's a room for like a DIA one. So I kind of do a little bit of a combo, but like when, when I first started podcasting, I only recently learned about like these dynamically inserted ads, probably in the last six months to a year. And I don't know. Like, I feel like the podcasting space, and I'm sure you hear about this all the time, Sam, but it's just like moving at the speed of light that it's just like, you can't even like keep up unless you have a full like podcasting team. If you're just an independent podcaster, it's hard to keep up with like all of the changes and all the things that you can do or, you know, this versus that. And there's so many options now that weren't available when I was starting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it's difficult because obviously you want to have that competitive edge, and that also means getting transcripts, um, having like uh, audiograms to promote things, and there, there's just there's always something else that you can be doing to enhance your podcast to make it better. There's uh, there's so much, um, and it really is limited to how much time you have or how much money you can put into it. So yeah, I completely get what you're saying. One thing actually I did want to ask is like, how do you get these ads? Like, how do you find people that want to uh, buy ad space on your show? So I use a couple, there's some different marketplaces. I used to do and still do some organic outreach. So if there's a brand that like I personally use, I, you know, and and I have very firm boundaries. And one thing that I will say is like, if you have firm boundaries around what you do for advertising, it will at some point kind of cap or put a ceiling on your earning potential. Um, so if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, that's not a very good strategy. You'll only ever be able to, you know, do this much. I'm okay with that. Um, so I just want to clarify that that's, that's fine with me. Everyone gets to do what they want with their show, but I do try to really hold these like firm boundaries. And part of that is like what I will advertise versus what I will not. So I sometimes do organic outreach. If there's a brand that I see, um, cause some brands don't do podcast advertising there, you know, they put their advertising dollars on TikTok or YouTube or, um, affiliates or whatever. So if there's a brand that I see is already doing podcast ads and I use their product and I already like, and know their product, I will kind of send them like a pitch email, just kind of introduce myself, like get the conversation going. And, you know, sometimes it works really well. And then they, you know, want to advertise on the show sometimes not. And that's fine. So I'll do some organic pitching for things that like, I personally already know. And then I utilize some of the marketplaces. So like there's like advertise cast is one, there's one called gumball, um, that I use and I like, and it's, it's kind of like a marketplace where advertisers can come and see like what shows are available, you know, what their rates are. Um, and so it's a way of kind of like outsourcing it so they can book through that, but then there's someone that you work with. So they'll say, Oh, so-and-so, you know, is, is interested in your show. Would you be open to having them advertise? And then I can say yes or no. Um, and if I say yes, then, then they're kind of approved to then book spots on my show. If I say no, then that's a no. Um, so that I have found to be really useful too, especially as my time has gotten more limited with the more children that I have, I've been very into, um, outsourcing as well. So yeah, using like those marketplaces and usually, you know, they're going to take a portion of whatever you're making on ads that they're booking for you, but it is kind of nice to have kind of that liaison because then only brands that are looking to book podcasts are going to those spaces. And then you have someone that can basically just say, yes or no, this brand, yes or no, that brand. Um, and then, and then they take care of the back end stuff. And then you just kind of have to keep like the logistics straight and make sure the right ad runs at the right time and all that. Mm-hmm. Now I can imagine that's definitely helpful to take a lot of your plate because pitching, it always requires, um, a lot of work, uh, but it's cool that you, you did that and you've got a balance of both, um, on a separate note, what mic do you use for your podcast? I use a mic. It is the like M sure seven. I'll tell you in one second, Sam, let me look it up. <laughs> it's a slightly different one than the one that I'm using right now, because sometimes when I have to go to my co-working space, um, I use a road mic. It's like a USB just plug-in mic. 
the road something something. But for my podcast, I use it's called Sure MV7. It's also a USB mic. So I don't use like a mixer or anything like that. Um, I do more kind of like just plug in the mic. I have a mic stand. Um, it's a very DIY over at Mindful in Minutes, and that's how I like it. But that's one that I use, and I've been really happy with it. Mm-hmm. I want to ask uh, some more like general questions. Like, I'd love to know what do you consider to be your greatest success in podcasting? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is not that it's all about money because it's not at all. But I think that at least for me, it's not. I think this is twofold. So a big milestone for me was when I was able to financially support myself and my family Mm -hmm. from my podcast. And I think the reason that feels so significant to me is I made a promise to myself. Again, my husband has been in school for a really long time. Schooling in general is very expensive. Any kind of advanced schooling is a huge financial investment. And so I made a promise to myself that everything that I do, whether it be trainings, retreats, podcasting, anything yoga for you, I would only do it as long as it was still financially responsible for my family. And I didn't have a ton of support when I started my podcast. I think people just didn't really understand it or understand the vision that I had. And I think the idea was kind of like, well, the idea for my whole business was poo-pooed. And then anytime I embark on like something new, it's like double poo-pooed. And so I think there was something that felt really validating when I was able to be like, not only do I get to do what I love, which is amazing, but I can say that it's also like a financially responsible thing to do for my family. Like I can support my family with it. And that just felt like such a big milestone for me because it just, I don't know if it's like a societal thing, but I think that just gives more credit to your name in a way. Do you ever find Sam that sometimes when you tell people that you podcast that they like, they think that means when you say you're like quote an entrepreneur in air quotes, which is like a nice way of saying you're unemployed. I I don't know. I think I get met with more curiosity than anything um, because I don't really say that I podcast. I say I work in podcasting because I do so many different things in podcasting. Right. On top of just doing the um, presenting and hosting whatever podcast I think they get more curious and then I kind of need to explain all the things I do in podcasting most people now I'm fortunate like unlike when you first started podcasting I don't need to explain what podcast is but I do need to explain like how I work with clients to get them booked on shows and why they would want to be a guest on podcasts and how that helps them so I kind of feel I go more into the rabbit hole of like how what I'm doing provides value and how it's like a a job. So I, I guess so, but I don't get the sensation necessarily that they feel like I'm an in, uh, an influencer or a thought leader, just like putting those like random things out there, which <laughs> yeah. are just n- jobs, but not other jobs sort of thing. Um, but I get what you mean. Yeah. And so, and so I think there was just something that fe- it felt like such a big milestone. It felt really validating because I don't know, it just felt a little bit more legitimate, I guess. And, and something that's always been you know, something that I've personally been working through is like really not caring about what other people think, which is a bigger struggle at the beginning. I think anytime you're starting a dream and people are not super supportive of that dream or they can't see the vision, it can be really hard to continue to show up and pursue it every single day. But that to me is one of the first thing that that comes to mind. And then just because that was like a personal milestone where I was like, you know, like I think anytime a passion project or like something that you love and you're like, wait a minute. And I also can support myself with this. Like, that's just like such a cool feeling. Mm. 
And, and then I think another is when I started doing retreats and people started coming from the podcast, there's just something so cool about that. Like I had a lot of my like former students or current students that would come and then people started coming from the podcast and I just felt like it was so special and I appreciated them. So, I mean, what a leap to just meet like a stranger halfway across the globe that you've only known, like on the internet and go spend a week with them wherever in Bali and Iceland, wherever it is. And, and that just felt so amazing and like big to me when I had podcast listeners that then were like engaging in things outside of the podcast, like retreats and things like that. That just felt like the coolest thing. It's such a huge milestone. That makes sense. That's fair. And like you are the mother of a growing family. So I think it's absolutely fair that you can say that one of your greatest successes is supporting a family. That's so cool to say. Um, and I also have to admit that your retreats look awesome uh, for anyone that follows you on Instagram. I do want to come on one. <laughs> you need to come on one. Sometimes, Sam, after maternity leave, we'll, we'll get you teed up on the next Yoga For You retreat. Thank you. Keep me posted. I'm I'm so down for that. Um, and yeah, you always have them in the most wonderful places. And if of of course the offer stands if I'm in Colombia still and 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 you fancy coming down, I'll do all my best to try and um set you up. Um before we go, do you have any other advice for podcasters looking to grow their audience and monetize their podcast? So definitely what I said earlier about word of mouth, like I think people forget when they're listening to podcasts that like they really do have the power to help you grow. And they want to support you. Like they're listening to content you're creating all the time and they know, like, and trust you. And so there's that. Um, Also, I think looking at podcasting as a long game, it's definitely a snowball effect. It's rarely, and sometimes it's a little bit different now. If you, if you have a huge following and then one avenue that you're adding to that gigantic following now is a podcast that's different than like, if you're going in just as an independent podcaster and starting a new show, I always tell people when you're thinking about starting your podcast, you're in the early stages of your podcast, ask yourself, honestly, is this a thing that I could do every week for two years and not make a dime off of it? And would I still like it? And that might sound a little bit cliche, but I have found that podcasting both for my own show and then working, like doing mentorships and things with people who are building their podcast is it, it's, it's a snowball effect. It's the long game. And it's about showing up every single day, one foot in front of the other, you know, putting another episode out, just continuing to like refine what you're doing. And like, it will happen at some point that kind of bubble will pop, but you have to be patient with it, which isn't always like the sexiest answer, but it's the honest answer because I think I think a lot of people go into podcasting thinking like, I'll do a couple of episodes and this will like explode and be huge. And like, sometimes that happens for a very select few, but for many it doesn't. And so I think just approaching it as like more of like the long game or a long-term investment, I think just helps so that then you can have more realistic expectations and just look at it more long-term as well. I think that's um, some fantastic advice to finish the show on. And yeah, I really do want to encourage anyone that is feeling stressed or not. I mean, and we all feel stressed, let's face it, for one reason or another, to go check out Mindful in Minutes. It's helped me and I know it's helped thousands of other people. 
um if not hundreds of thousands of other people so definitely go check it out and i would encourage everyone to go leave a review as well but kelly thank you so much for joining me today it has been so wonderful chatting with you oh thank you so much i appreciate that i love chatting with you and i want to reiterate anyone listening if you love sam's show leave him a five-star review tell a friend share the episode your favorite episode with someone else because we all grow at the rate of our listeners sharing. So everyone send Sam um, some love. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, you can find more helpful resources to grow your business with podcasting on our blog at podwritten.com and on Instagram at podwritten. You can also find a full transcript for this episode on our website. So be sure to visit podwritten.com or follow the links in the episode description. Until next time, stay healthy, happy and successful.